On this episode of the Autumn Windbags, we look at Peter King going inside the Raiders draft room and all the stuff we learned about Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels. Look at the Raiders' main four targets, the trade they missed on Josh McDaniels, Terry Wilson call. We also hear about Mark Davis's thoughts on Dave Ziegler, Raiders draft grades, and what Mike Mayock said about the Raiders draft. And we love, we subscribe, rate, and comment on whatever platform you're listening on. All right, here we go. I got a dream of winning a Super Bowl. I got a dream of being in a Pro Bowl. I'm really not into dreams anymore, okay? I'm into nightmares. There it is! Caught! Touchdown! Raiders! You're listening to the Autumn Windbags, an audio attack from the silver and black. Here are your windbags, RJ Clifford and Juan Soto. Yeah, it is another episode of the Autumn Windbags. RJ Clifford, Juan Soto. Let's have some fun today. Uh, I feel like every single show, Soto, your uh, your broadcasting skills go up a notch every time. <laughs> and now you've gone even far beyond the on-camera stuff. Now it's like your directorial stuff is working great. You've put yourself off-center, so the Raider flag is perfectly viewed over your right shoulder. It's the little things, man. It's like little touches of detail that lets me know you're constantly evolving. I'm trying to uh, give my best. And I'm trying like every, to give the, 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 the subscribers my best. So like every single director, like there's, there's so many little details in broadcasting that like, you know, there's no reason why anyone would know. And they're probably not interesting to most people. But every single director before a broadcast is like, all right, when we take this shot, make sure you're offline to the left because we're going to have a tombstone or a lower third or a graph, right? So like their heads off the, off from the side, you did that already out of the gate. You got the Soto, your Twitter and Instagram handle Raiders. And then your beautiful mug and the cat yeah. right there and your cat more room for the cat action. We should call this the pussy cam. There it is. So they can see the right cat. There, there he is. <laughs> we, we could probably start charging, but I don't think we get a lot of repeat business. Yeah, he's, he doesn't do much. Yeah. Uh, question of the day. An interesting one. This one involves a um, a little visual effect. Please, I didn't see this when the draft was actually happening. But I think it's hilarious. During the draft, ESPN cameras caught a guy holding a sign, a Raider fan. It looks like a Raider fan. That looks, looks like he's like wearing... It. A Raider hat with the logo, all in black. And the sign says, Josh McDaniels eats corn the long way. <laughs> Which, I don't care who you're insulting. That's that's the funniest shit I've ever heard. That's hilarious. You could say that to my grandma, and I'd be like, you son of a bitch. I'm oh. still rolling on the floor laughing. Is Got that me. a normal line? Like, is that a thing in, like, Nebraska or Iowa? You know what I mean? Like, corn country? Is that, like, a joke? I've never heard it before. I've never heard it in my life. It never even occurred to me. And I thought that's the funniest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> that's crazy, dude. Eats corn the long ways. I saw a great, um, you know how like the whole Bud Light thing with like mm-hmm. the transvet, you know, the cross dresser and stuff. And it's like, a, like it's given us so much great content of just like transgender, sir, transgender. And this guy goes, uh, Hey man, I don't know what's going on. I've been drinking Bud Light my entire life. I had never been gay. Never even kind of made me gay. My entire life, I've been drinking Bud Light. He drinks his beer like this. <laughs> God dang it, RJ. And shoves the entire neck of the beer down his throat oh, when he's yeah, taking a yeah. drink. <laughs> RJ. Oh. And so I thought of that. I was like, oh, that's Josh McDaniels eating corn the long way. So that leads to the question of the day. What's the best insult you've ever heard? Because that might be the funniest insult I've ever heard. Eating corn the long way. That was a pretty good one. Uh, I remember like as a, as a kid, when I wanted someone to shut up, I'd say, do the world a favor. Stick your lower lip over your head and swallow. I thought that was pretty fun. I, I've, I think that one, I like ones that work when you're nine and work when you're 39. I don't know how well that one works now, but you know, for nine, it's pretty good. It, 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 it happens. You know, it finds its slots. Um. The, one of the one of the best college game day signs I ever saw. You'd love this as a Trojan. It was at I think it was U, I think it was Oregon, like Oregon Cal or something like that. One of the, when game day was there, and the other the game day sign was 
this sign has as many Heisman trophies as Reggie Bush. <laughs> so when Reggie Bush was uh, his last season with the Trojans um, for one of the games, one of the big T-shirts for for all the females to wear mm-hmm. was uh, "Straight Chicks Love Bush." Mm-hmm. That was a good one. That was a good one. My eyes are all fucked up. Uh, the other good one was Georgia when Todd Gurley was there. Um, they wore these like pink shirts that said Gurley Boys on them. Like all the dudes who wear it, it'd be like this like G-U-R-L-E-Y. There's a lot of creativity in college. I'm telling you, man, like when you're on a college, there's no better place for creativity than a college campus because you've got a lot of time on your hands, right? You're just like no kids, no job. You know, well, not my college experience, but I'm assuming like a D1 big school college experience. I went to a state college on a wrestling scholarship while working living in a three-bedroom apartment with eight other people. Like, I just, like, scratched and clawed my way through college. I imagine if you're going to, like, a real school, you're getting, like, a great college experience. But what? A, but that's, like, where the creativity goes. You care about the team. You got time to think about it. You got time to, like, get together, make T-shirts just to, like, try to get on game day on ESPN. What a time to be alive. It's, just, it's, it's what's important at the time. Yeah. So what's the best insult you've ever heard? Let us know in the comment section. Very curious. Lay it on us. It could be an insult to me or Soto, or it can be just any insult at all. Just best ones you've ever heard. And also, did the whole, like, eating corn the long way, is that is that a thing? Like, is that a running joke in parts of the country? Or did this guy just, like, crank out one of the best zingers I've ever heard in my life? It's I'm so sure it's, it's out there, but he brought it to light. I'm, I'm assuming he didn't invent it, but if he did, I, I give props. Props to a Raider fan for coming props up with the insults I've ever heard. So the uh, draft is over. If you missed our entire uh, draft special, you can check it out both on podcast form and on YouTube. We did like a full special. It's almost like a post-game show where we did you know, a Sunday live draft special. Um, then after we did that, we got a great article from Peter King. NBC, and he was in the draft room with the Raiders. They let him in. Like, Josh McDaniels, Mr. Like, give the media nothing, tell them nothing. It's like, sure, Peter King, come on in, take a look inside. Not even, like, kick the tires. Like, like literally pull our skirts up and look at our butthole. I don't know if he did that, but he said, come on in, have a seat, and uh, talk to us during this draft. Talk to McDaniel's. Talk to Ziegler. Talk to talk to Mark Davis. Talk to he was he was there taking pictures. Like it was great. It was awesome access. Um, and we got a lot of great stuff. Uh, I'll link the um, the article in the um, description. Oh, description. Description. So you guys can check the whole thing out yourself. But we'll hit you with the highlights. Uh, so the big part was out of the gate, the Raiders basically had four options they wanted at number seven. Paris Johnson, tackle. Will Anderson, outside linebacker. Devin Witherspoon, cornerback. And outside linebacker, Terry Wilson, which we got. If you remember, Arizona picked up Paris Johnson right before we picked. At six. At six, right? They were third, traded down to six, got Paris Johnson. I feel like that could have saved us. Like, if we would have went tackle at seven, like, that was... That was like the no. That was like the only thing where we were both like, "Please don't go line out of the gate." Like that was the one thing we we're like, "That's gonna that's gonna be disastrous." Actually, what happened was Arizona traded to twelve, and then back traded back to six. Yeah. But they wanted to trade with us at seven, but then they figured out that we wanted Paris Johnson too, so that's mm-hmm. why they had to hop us to six. So Arizona saved us. We should yeah. send uh, the Arizona Cardinals GM a fruit basket for uh, having Nick Ziegler save us from ourselves. Uh, I mean, the other three are great, right? We would take Will Anderson, Devin Witherspoon, Terry Wilson. Would have been more or less happy with those ones. I would, I would, I would have been less happy with Witherspoon than I think most of Raider Nation, but um, would have been a bad pick at all. Uh, the other, There's a bunch of little things in there, but the other thing I found really interesting was they got an offer to trade down from seven to take 12 and 33rd. And what I've been saying all pre-draft, trade down, trade down, trade down, trade down. 
We need bodies. It'd be great to have a 12th overall and then and then in the second pick of the second. Awesome. Would have been a, I, I wish we would have done it. And then it got even more robust in hindsight because then we wouldn't have had to trade up to get our tight end. So it would have saved us two draft picks. Instead of having nine, we'd have 11, and we'd still have our tight end. We, we probably wouldn't have had Tyree Wilson, probably. Mm-hmm. But we still could have had ourselves a pretty solid edge rusher at number twelve. Yeah, I mean, it all came down. It all came down to Paris Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the Cardinals wanted him, and they wanted to trade with us, and that was the package, and that's who we wanted. So they said, "Okay, well, never mind." That would have been pretty. Uh, another part that I really liked is he listened to. The, the phone call, you know, every single draft pick, not every single draft pick, but certainly the first rounders, they get the phone call from the coach, mm-hmm. right? Hey, you're going to be our guy. This is what we want. This is what we like. And he listened in to the exact conversation that Josh McDaniels told Tyree Wilson. And this is what he said word for word. Tyree, welcome to the nation. Dude, I'm so excited you're a Raider. I know you're going to help us win a lot of games. So just want to touch base on a few things. You're going to talk to the media here in a bit. Wanted to give you a few points. Be humble, which you are. Stay away from predictions. That way you won't have to eat them later. Don't talk about timelines with your foot. You don't want your draft story to be all about your foot. Now you got a fan base that's second to none. They're going to love you. Just express how excited you, which I know you are. Seems like a very Josh McDaniels pep talk. Well, I mean, he hit the high points. He made it simple. Uh... And he gave an explanation why. So I thought it was pretty good. Um, it, it just feels very Josh McDaniels where there wasn't like a pep talk. It was just like, you know, here's like structure. He's like very sound, practical advice. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, hey, I'm buying a used car. It's like, all right, well, check the tire pressure, you know, get the injury. You know, he's just like very, very like, you know, just practical, right? Very practical guy. Uh, the one thing I thought, a couple of things I thought were interesting. Um, very Josh McDaniels with the media. Like you're going to talk to him. Like that's the, that was literally the second thing that he brought up. I like you. And here's how you talk to the media. Literally the second thing he said, like this, like the second most important thing in the conversation was how to address the media. That's very Patriot way. Josh McDaniels, right? Like, don't give him anything. This is how we deal with it. Um, and he said, stay away from predictions. That way you don't have to eat them later. Now, I know you came down on Derek Carr for not making predictions when we went to the Saints, and you liked how Joe Burrow was so bold. So it sounds like you probably didn't like that line. Um, no, it's – I think it's, it's good advice in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you haven't even played a, a down yet. You just – you don't want to make things about what you what, – what you're trying to do. You don't want to add any added pressure in the beginning. You just want to say – be very matter of fact. Hey, I'm very excited to be here. I'll, you know, to be a part of Raider Nation. I want to get 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 to work and and work hard and be one of the best. I have great teammates. That's what you want it to be about in the beginning. You want it to be about. Let me. I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers, yeah. whether on my team or other team. Uh, I just want to go in there and work hard and be one of the guys. And I think that's kind of what McDaniel's was trying to say with that. Like, hey, stay away from all that stuff. Just stick to stick to the the, the basics, and yeah. uh, because we know he said, "Hey, stay humble," because we know you are right. You're excited, you know. It's it's sound advice. It's sound advice not to like go in there and you know. Not everyone could be Deion Sanders. Yeah, um, I think it kind of fit Tyree Wilson too. You know, like it would have been it would have been funny to see Tyree Wilson be like, "Yeah, I'm going to lead the league in sacks. I'm going to do X, Y, Z." Like that, that would have gotten me jacked and excited. Um, but that's not like his style really. And I guess that also kind of fits why I think Josh McDaniels wanted him as well, where mm-hmm. he's kind of, you know, Josh McDaniels type guy, like head down, do your job, you know, speak softly, carry a big stick. Yeah. Yeah. Type of thing. Uh, the other one too is he said, don't talk timelines with your foot. So the foot thing is still in the back of my mind. It's still kind of a, you know, how much is it, you know, will it bleed into training camp, preseason, whatever, right? Like, even if he's, like, suiting up, is it still, you know, 80%? Because, like, 
it's not just healing of the foot. It's rehabbing it, right? The foot's been atrophied. You haven't done anything, right? Like, I remember when I broke my hand in college, um, I was in a cast for six weeks, and then it was just like, like this forearm that wasn't broken and this form was like half the size. It was just like, you know, and that's what that's what took forever to get back to normal, not healing the bone. That was six weeks, and it was 100%. It was, it was getting my, my grip back to 100%, right? Yeah, yeah. So when he said, like, don't talk timelines with your foot, I feel like if if the foot was like, hey, he's going to be 100% in rehab by the time training camp was there, you wouldn't have brought that up. Again, I'm not saying he's going to miss time or it's going to be a major factor, but that does give me – I'm looking for any evidence I can on this foot because no one's telling, saying anything, right? Yeah. This is the only evidence I'm finding, about, finding out about the foot, and it does lead me to believe that maybe it won't be – 100% day one of training camp. Well, I mean, I was reading a story today that the doctor that performed the surgery uh, sent letters to all the teams saying his his foot is fine. It's healing perfectly and he'll be fine. No, no, the letter said the surgery went perfectly. That's that was that was the letter. And also, like you're getting paid by the by that guy. Like mm -hmm. Of course, the guy that I'm, the doctor I am paying is going to send. Again, I'm not saying that the surgery went awful. I'm not saying the pig was awful because his leg is mangled. I'm not saying he's going to be in crushes. Like that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the tiny little pieces of evidence that we've seen have led me to believe. All right, maybe it's not a hundred percent quite yet, and it's something I'm going to keep following as yeah. as, as the I mean, season goes along. A, right, a point of uh, a point of. Uh, like a checkpoint to come back to later. Yeah, the first day of camp, I'm gonna I'm zero in on on when he's running. Right? Is he doing drills? How fast is he running? Is there a limp? Like it's the you know, I'm just gonna keep an eye on. Right? I I hope all the beat writers that are there are all right. Let's keep an eye. It's something to keep an eye on. And we have a first here at the Autumn Windbags. Uh, Soto had to leave mid show. Don't worry, he's fine. His cats didn't strangle him to death or anything like that. Uh, he just had to bounce. Mid show. So we're going to finish the show with just me and you. Should be fun. Little game changer. Uh, the last part of the Peter King article I want to get to is he talked to Mark Davis. And Mark Davis isn't anti media. Like he does interviews, you know, fairly often, right? Owners mean you can always catch up to him. He's not elusive, but, um, you know, anytime. Someone gets to talk to him and get uh, and get a soundbite. It's worth listening to. And Mark Davis reiterated how he feels about Josh McDaniels and, and Dave Ziegler, the big Ziegler duo. He said, I like them. When we hired them, everybody thought we were trying to recreate the Patriots. That wasn't it. I was trying to find two great football men. Now this is their chance to build something. They're young. They love football. And I'm thrilled with them. It's a huge weekend for them. Which I thought was interesting when he said everyone thought we were trying to recreate the Patriots. That wasn't it. I believe Mark Davis when he says that he wasn't trying to recreate the Patriots. I believe. I don't think that was his goal. He's just like, all right, here's a, a really good offensive coordinator. And here's a guy who's never officially been a GM, but he's been a GM light. And there's a franchise that looks like it's been handled. It's been GM'd well. Well, this is the thing. You are you are products of your environment. We we all are. Where we're from, what we're about, that's generally who we are. You grew up as a farmer, you have farming mentality. You grow up by the beach, you get surfer boy mentality. Like it's just it's just how it happens, right? You you are what your surroundings, you know, you absorb what your surroundings are. And so the fact of the matter is that Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler have really recreated the Patriot way in Las Vegas. They fired a ton of other coaches that were with the Patriots, ton of front office people that were with the Patriots, a bunch of scouts that were with the Patriots, a bunch of players that were with the Patriots. Josh McDaniels is doing very Bill Belichick style of coaching, not really like big motivational guy, just very X's and O's, long film study, holding people responsible, not really coddling guys and if you don't like it you can leave they are kind of creating the patriot way and that's because that's what they know that's where josh mcdaniels and dave ziegler have most of their professional football experience is under one franchise under one owner and under one head coach 
So even though, yeah, I buy that Mark Davis was like, look, I don't want to try to recreate the Patriot way. What other way does Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler know? That's all they know, more or less, right? Obviously, they have longer football you know, backgrounds, but that's that's the bulk of their professional football experience is the Patriot way. So I found that interesting that, that that's how Mark Davis chose to frame it, despite how things have kind of went with that squad. So again, I really highly recommend you guys check out the Peter King article um, in full. Really good stuff. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things to read into, especially as Raider fans. It's interesting if you're just an NFL fan. You're like, oh, let's let's look inside of a draft room, right? Especially a draft room where it's the first time that this squad has been able to make a first round pick or a second round pick, and only their second time ever doing a draft. So. It's generally interesting if just like a, a, a regular NFL fan to kind of see how like things pan out, um, following how drafts go, but even more so as a Raider fan, because you'd be like, oh, we could have had this. That's why they went this way. Why didn't we get this player? And also, you know, every little detail we get from what Josh McDaniel says, what Mark Davis says, what Dave Ziegler says, as a Raider fan, we can see like the second, third, fourth level of all that. All right, moving on. Uh, the Raiders draft grades. So we, you know, we told you what we got. I gave him a B. Soto gave him a B plus. Um, I went through and looked at not every single draft grade from every single draft grader because there's a million of them, and the, it, you know they're kind of a dime a dozen. But I did, I did pick my six favorite ones. And they're my six favorites for 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 different reasons. I went with uh, Pete Briscoe because he always does this over there at CBS. Mel Kiper because you know ESPN and you know they they prop him up as like the, the biggest draft guru ever. Uh, Ryan Dunleavy of the New York Post, Dame Brugler of the Athletic because again I, like, I really like how the Athletic covers the NFL. Uh, Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated, we've had him on our our show, and then Chris Sims, his evaluation of the Raiders. So we'll start with Pete Briscoe. Uh, he gave the Raiders. A B plus and said they had the eighth best draft of the 2023 NFL draft. I'm going from best scores to worst scores. So we had a top 10 score. When was the last time the Raiders have gotten a top 10 score and how they drafted? I can't remember. It's been a long time. It's been a while, but I'm glad that we got it. Maybe that, uh, Maybe that Derek Carr year. Maybe that year we did. But it's been a while since people considered it a really, really good draft. And so uh, he said his favorite pick, and this has been a consistent one, Michael Mayer. Um, you know how much we loved it as Raider fans. And I think the out, I think outside of Las Vegas likes the Michael Mayer pickup in the second round even more than the Raiders do. Because obviously, like, what was our kind of concern it was like, look, like another pass catcher. Like, that's the one thing we have a plenty. We need all phases of defense help. We need O line help. We need depth everywhere. And you went with the with the tight ends. Like, okay, it wasn't really need, but it fits everything else. The value is great. Fits the system great. Does it all. He's plug and play ready to to to, to go in the NFL. Um, everyone loved that pick. Everyone loved Michael Mayer from Notre Dame tight end, and even more so, I think, than Raider fans, which is which is good. The, you, you cannot argue with the, the great value that Michael Mayer was. Um, he also liked Jacory and Bennett. Um, he's a good corner that, and also, and also he addressed the need. So that was the best one. The next one we go to Mel Kiper, and he had he had the Raiders have a B minus. But he was pretty not overly complimentary of the Raiders. He liked rounds one and two, right? He loved Tyree Wilson. Um, and he liked uh like you know, like everyone else, Mayor. But he also thought like kind of the rest of the picks were reaches, which I thought look, I think maybe some of those picks were like poorly timed, and maybe we need could address other things that I would have wanted somebody else. But I didn't think many. I thought I thought value wise, pretty much all of our picks were were more or less in line with what the value of that spot was. We didn't like overly reach. Mel Kiper says there was a lot of reaches. 
Mel Kiper said, I had a fifth round grade on defensive tackle Byron Young, who was picked 70th. Sixth round grade on quarterback Aiden O'Connell. We got him in the fourth. The very last pick of the fourth, but still in the fourth. Why don't Trey Tucker went around early? I like the choice of safety Christopher Smith, but his tape is much better than his measurables. And I don't know if he'll ever develop into a starter. So, yeah, he liked one and two, but everything else he was kind of, eh, whatever on. But he still gave him a B-. minus. Uh, the New York Post, right there in the middle. Also a B-, minus, but 15th. The analysis from the Post was drafting Mayher. Again, Mayher. Everyone loves that guy. Uh, free agent signs of O.J. Howard, Austin Hooper feel redundant. Yeah, it's redundant, but both those guys cost half a pizza and a 40. Like, whatever. And there's experience at, at, at tight end, which is fine. It is surprising they did not target offensive line or cornerback early. No, it isn't surprising they didn't target offensive line because they don't need that first, you know, first round help at offensive line. We need first round help everywhere else. Wilson never had more than seven sacks since coming off a foot injury. Risks for a franchise with too many first round whiffs. So again, um, at, you know, B minus. That's you know, that's a that's a three GPA. They get that makes you a scholar athlete. I was a scholar athlete every year in high school. Never got above, you know, never got uh, like too high bo- above a 3.0, but 15th. That's like one better than average, one better than the average. So it's weird. I feel like the, I'll get to, I'll get to it at the end. Uh, moving on to Dane Brugler of the athletic 21st. The grade was 21st favorite pick. I'll let you take a wild guess. Michael Mayer, Notre Dame. Uh, day three pick who could surprise Jacory and Bennett. He also said that Aiden O'Connell could be a surprise for the Raiders as well. Uh, talking about Bennett, although his size is underwhelming, his cover speed and ability to disrupt the catch point are strong selling points. Bennett ran a four, three, 40 yard dash. The combine accounted for more passes defended than he had games played 31 passes defended 28 games played in his Maryland career. So sounds generally positive. But it was only the 21st best draft, according to The Athletic. Uh, on to Sports Illustrated, Connor Orr, a former guest of this show, friend of the show, gave the Raiders a C+. However, that's 24th, which is weird to me. If you're 24th out of 32 teams and you're still like just millimeters away from a B it's pretty generous grade uh the analysis the Raiders nailed the first two picks of their class getting excellent value in both Wilson may here tell me if you're starting to see a pattern uh Wilson should form an incredible duel with Max Crosby off the edge while Mayher's a long-term replacement for Darren Waller at an excellent value however Las Vegas desperately needs to fix its lack of corner talent and didn't address the need until the third day the Raiders also took a backup quarterback in the fourth round despite some defenders being available could have competed for snaps early. It's a solid class, but the Raiders left some questions behind. Last one, Chris Sims. Now, Chris Sims, you know, everyone else, everybody else, you, they either rank the class one through 32 or give it a grade, A through F. Chris Sims, in his never ending desire to be different, did a tier system. And the Raiders were tier three. Whatever the fuck that means. So I'm assuming that tier three is below one and two and above four and five. I didn't care enough about his ranking to really dive into it, but it wasn't the top and it wasn't the bottom. But when you listen to Sims, uh, it was very complimentary of the Raiders draft class. Take a listen. Tyree Wilson comes in. He's going to be a difference maker for their football team. Michael Mayer is going to start a tight end right away from them. And then we know they know how to use a tight end there with Josh McDaniels coming from New England. And to make that move to get him, like we talked about a few minutes ago, those tight ends, were they were going to start going on a run here. Yeah, so, Laporta just went off the board. Right, the so they knew they had to get up there because there were some teams there, I think, in the mid-30s and low-40s that they knew were going to take Michael Mayer. Byron Young, big D tackle in the middle, got some value as a rusher inside, can improve in some of the run game stuff, but he's an Alabama D tackle. He's, he's big and he's athletic. So you get that to get one of the faster corners in the draft and Jacorian Bennett, who I really liked out of Maryland. I liked Aiden O'Connell as a good backup 
prototypical pocket passing quarterback. And then one of my sneaky under the radar man crushes in Christopher Smith out of Georgia. You know, I give the Raiders a, a tier three grade. Tier three grade and very complimentary of almost every single one of those. I didn't want to play the entire clip because we'd be here for 20 minutes, but um, he thinks that Tyree Wilson and Max Crosby can be the, the best pass rushing duo in football. He can be a double digit. Tyree Wilson can be a double digit sack guy um, praising Michael Mayher and especially the value of giving in the second round. And like you said, like, like you heard, he went off of like almost every single pick after that liked everybody. And he's the guy with maybe the lowest grade. So to recap, Pete Briscoe gave the Raiders draft class a B plus, ranked them eighth. Mel Kuyper gave a B minus. Ryan Dunleavy did a B minus 15th ranked. Dane Brugler, 21st. Connor Orr, C plus 24th. And Chris Sims, tier three. He invented his own language. It's funny. It's weird. So like of like taking out Sims and just going rankings, we went from 8th, 15th, 21st, and 24th. And yet our grades were all in between a B plus and C plus. So when you, so when the experts rank this draft class for the Raiders, it is a wide swath from the eighth best to the sixth worst. Sixth worst. Eighth worst. Yeah. Eighth, eighth, right? Eighth best to eighth worth. Eighth worst, right? So no one is heaping praise and saying it's like, you know, the best one ever. No one's dumping all over it saying it was the worst one ever, but it's literally everything in between and a lot of mostly just in between, just kind of middle grade eighth to 21st, 24th. However, the grades were only C plus to B plus. I just feel like these grades, like when you ask someone to just ramble on, or say what they're thinking, they generally try to be positive, right? They generally don't want to ruffle any feathers. Specifically, these writers, a lot of them, like they want to have connections with GMs, coaches, players. They have sources. They want to keep happy, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't I don't think Briscoe gave any grade below a C. And I don't think Sp Sports Illustrated with Connor Orr only gave like two or three below a C. There, ha like, you, there has to be some Fs in there. There has to be some bad picks. But unless you corner somebody, you see it all the time with like really good interviewers. Really good interviewers, when you hear them, they'll say things like they, they want yeses and nos. They want specifics. The way they, they make their questioning kind of corners you to give you a real answer. The wimpy interviewers are the ones that say like, all right. The game on Sunday, tell me what you think about that. How do you feel about this? That's just kind of giving them an open end to ramble and give you whatever answer they want. And there's a place for that, right? Like sometimes you just generally want to know their, their, their thought process and then you kind of corner them later. When you give these guys a chance to just grade, it's almost always positive until you force them to rank. Once you're ranked, then you're like, all right, we can't, we can't. There's 32 teams. We can't say it's a 32-way tie for first. You've got to start ranking them a little bit, right? And so even though the grades were all good, the rankings kind of force them to put them where they want. So I like the ranking more than the grade because you're forcing them to be in a hierarchy, right? Like the 32 NFL teams are all really good football teams. They're all really good at football. They're all spending hundreds of millions of dollars on talent, millions of dollars on coaches giant facilities armies of scouts and personnel and all this shit medical teams trainers they're all really good football teams but at the end you rank them one to 32 right there's only one champion only so many make it to the playoffs it's only eight division winners there's eight division losers that's why we have rankings that's why we like force people to say all right you're good you're bad because that's where you're ranked that's what you earned and I feel like we kind of got that with draft grades. Everyone wanted to be like really, really happy. And yet when you start ranking, you find out where people think you are. So the Raiders, so a couple of themes with how the Raiders were graded, almost universal love for Michael Mayhera too, which I understand. Again, as a Raider fan, the only thing that kind of 
I didn't like about that was another pass catcher when we have so many other needs. That's a very high draft pick, but love the value, love the player, love the value. You know, kind of, I want to say McZiegler was forced to take it, but pretty close, right? And they did draft up to get him. They did they'd trade up a little bit to get him. Um, almost universal positivity with our first round pick, Terry Wilson. And then it was just way up in the air after that, way up in the air after that. Some people thought things were reaches. Um, Chris Sims loved basically everybody. There was Mel Kuyper didn't like how certain spots were addressed. So I think that I think even though the rankings and the grades are all over the place, this draft has almost universally from the outside looking in been looked at the same. One and two were great. Everything else kind of up in the air. And I, and I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I haven't seen an analysis of this draft that's been terrible. Like if they give a really bad draft grade, it's because, yeah, they didn't really address massive positions of need until way late with guys who may not even make the team. When I see people who grade them really, really high, it's because the most important spots, you know, rounds one and two, they, they, they knocked them out of the park. And they were good picks. The, the ones that matter the most are the ones they got the most right. So it's weird. Like you can, de depending on what you find most important in the draft, I think depends on where you rank this draft class. But the analysis has been more or less spot on from everyone I've seen. And it's nice to see, right? Because normally the Raiders get the shit end of all this stuff. Uh, another thing to check out, Mike Mayock was on the Chris Long podcast. I hadn't had a chance to listen to the whole thing. I listened to, to chunks of it. Thank God our great buddy Sanjeet T listened to the whole thing and put down some notes for us. Here's his six biggest things that he got from the Mike Mayock interview with Chris Long. So why do we keep kind of going back to Mayock? Because so many things happened back in the Mayock Gruden years that we have a lot of questions about, and that still affects us today. Like we're still eating the dead cap of guys that they've brought in. We're still kind of learning why, why did Carr do this well and that poorly? Why did they go to Bisaccia? Why do they go to Josh McDaniels instead of Bisaccia? Like these are all, this isn't just living in the past. These are all things that affect us right now today. And all those things help explain what Mark Davis's mindset is. Like, why does he make the decisions that he makes? These are all things that affect the Raider Nation. So that's what we keep analyzing it. One of the things that Mayock brought up, he said, Mayock said John Gruden had the final say in everything when it came to drafting. We knew that. We knew that. It's not so much what's the hierarchy. It's how much. It's like anything, right? Like a CEO is responsible for everything that happens in his corporation. Now, is he the one wheeling and dealing on an acquisition? Like it was, it was his personal baby or did he have his CFO and legal team handle it? And he just kind of oversaw it from above. There's a difference there. Again, at the end, the CEO is at the end of the day, responsible for everything, but was he hands-on responsible or hands-off responsible? That's more what I want to know. Uh, Sanjeet continues. Mayock also said he tried trading up for Nick Bosa and Quinn and Williams. He also tried to trade down. No one wanted to move up or down. So I think, I think that's Mayock trying to save face a little bit. Like, Hey, I had my eye on these great players and I wanted to trade down at other times. It's like, yeah, well you didn't. Your intentions don't matter. Your intentions I guess there's some value there because then we can kind of see where your mindset at is, but it's the actions that matter. It's the teams we draft. It's the players we drafted. It's the acquisition that we got. It's the talent on the team that matters. Not, well, I wanted this other guy. Shows how smart I am. It's like, well, if you wanted him, but couldn't get him, that's another problem. Then you're not able to grab the guy. That's also a skill in being a GM. Knowing how to, knowing how to wheel and deal. Knowing how to swindle the other 31 GMs. That's what I want my GM to be able to do. It's like, oh man, I know Jacksonville's really weak. You know, they they're a sucker for trading up. We can, we can, we can gouge those guys. It's like, oh, I know Cleveland's desperate for a corner. Let's uh let's see if they could, you know, they'll, you know, they'll trade up to our spot. 
because Witherspoon's there or whatever it may be, right? Like, that's what I want to see. Not, oh, these are the guys I wanted. I just couldn't get it done. Like, oh, sweet. Yeah, there's a super hot chick at the bar I wanted to bang. Just couldn't close the deal, but I definitely wanted to. Like, cool, RJ. Great. High five. Congratulations. This was the big one. Clay was my guy. I was wrong about Cleveland Farrell. That's a big one. That's one of the things we've been wondering about for a long time. There's been a lot of bad draft reaches from the Raiders in the first round. One of the worst was Cleveland Farrell. And we're all wondering, okay, he seems like a Gruden grinder guy. It seems like that's someone that John Gruden would have really wanted. You know, football family, military family, hard worker, just, you know, kind of not that skillful, not great tape, but man, he's a Gruden, Gruden grinder. So let's grab him. I kind of felt like there was John Gruden stink all over that draft pick. Apparently it was Mayock. Swing and a miss. Mayock. And props to Mayock for admitting it. Uh, we like Josh Allen a lot. We also liked Ed Oliver. Those are the other guys in the conversation at four. Man, imagine having Josh Allen. I don't think they would have, considering, you know, Derek Carr was there and not that far removed from some Pro Bowl seasons. I mean, they should have drafted Josh Allen. I took phone calls on teams trying to trade for Derek Carr. He was worth more than first round pick at the end of the 21 season. That we kind of knew. Um, I think the Colts were offering two firsts. That was kind of a rumor going around. Of, you know, that that was a that was a potential offer, or at least something that was discussed, or a, not like an official offer, but something that was bannered about. And here's the second biggest one, maybe the biggest one. This is Mike Mayock talking. I felt Rich Basaccia should have been the head coach of the Raiders in 2022. He had a 12-week trial. That's a big one. The way that he phrased it. He had a 12-week trial. Josh McDaniels had a season-and-a-half-long trial. Flopped. Now, again, then he became back to be an offensive coordinator under the Patriots, and we optimistically had hoped you know, cautiously optimistic, at least me, cautiously optimistic that he identified his errors as a head coach and over the last over decade, been able to fill those spots and let the the clear genius of offensive coordination that's in that skull of his, let that be able to flourish without being hampered by being a bad head coach. Bisaccia had 12 weeks to be a head coach and he took a team that had the head coach Ripped away from them. Their fastest and best wide receiver of a tragic accident. All the shit that happened that season. And he loved them into the playoffs. He loved them into the playoffs. And there's no better sign that what Rich Bisaccia did worked than what happened the next season without him. And I know Soto's always saying, well, it was fool's gold. Like, oh yeah, the you know, it was a team that won, but it shouldn't have. And that's why this team, this last season, only had six wins. And that's always been my point. It's like, what's the what's the number one goal of a football coach? The number one thing that they're supposed to do: get the most out of their players to win games. Right? Win games, number one. How do you do that? You get the most out of the players that you have. You are given players, and you're trying to make them be as and win as many games as possible. The players that you have. And you do that with great schemes. You do that with strength and conditioning. You do that with motivation. You do that with all kinds of things, right? Whatever Rich Basaccia did, it worked. Because that team that he coached got to 10 wins and got to the playoffs and almost the exact same team. I would argue a better team on paper with Devontae Adams and some other stuff got to six. Now, again, I'm not saying that Josh McDaniels needs to be fired, needs to be gone or whatever. I'm just saying let's never forget the role of coaching with players. Never forget. All right. What up, windbags? R.A. Wilson. Dude looks like granny's dining room curtains. We never officially discussed Tyree Wilson's draft suit. I don't feel like we really dove into it because when we did the live draft pick, we were just like, 
Oh my God, we didn't shit the bed. Oh my God, we didn't do a giant reach. Oh, it was just like absolute relief. Like we're just trying not to faint when we got that draft pick. So we really didn't have a chance to absorb the flowery suit that he's doing. You got the plunging button down, right? Like the first like four buttons undone. The flower suit glistening a little bit. Big watch, black shirt. And then, you know, I don't know what you want to call these glasses. They're not stunner shades. I mean, that's basically all the old sunglasses I know. But he does also have, I don't like the the fat of the, the short chain. The necklace that's short. I want you to be able to get your thumbs up and like hold up your hold up your emblem, you know? But they like doing it tighter. It's like, all right, whatever, kids these days. And I'm just an old man. These kids these days with their hip-hop music and diet sodas. But I thought it was by, by like draft status, but because you know, these guys like love to, you know, stand out. I think it stood out without being outlandish. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to be like the Met Gala. You don't want to be Jared Leto walking in on a, on a, on a cat suit, but you want to, you want to be flashy. You want people to remember you. You want to make a statement when you make an entrance. And I feel like that did this, you know, I feel like mission accomplished a little bit in that realm. Look flashy without being like loud. You know what I mean? You don't want the suit to be bigger than the moment, but you want it to stand out. I think it did. Uh, next one, Unholy Roller Raider. Frankie Mosqueda. That's a long name. Again, Tyree Wilson. Those long arms on both ends will literally make up for being a half second too slow at getting to the quarterback. Crosby and company were split second from second the quarterback many times. We got to get to the quarterback this year. No more excuses. You're right. We got to get to the quarterback this year. We got to. We need those sacks. Lord knows that the DBs weren't really addressed. Linebackers weren't really addressed. The strength of our defense, if there is a strength, is the defensive line. Max Crosby is one of the most underrated and best defensive players in football. Terry Wilson has a chance as a rookie with how high he's drafted to make a statement. And Chandler Jones started to gain a little momentum last season. He's still way overpaid and not what we were promised. But he's not a bad defensive end. He's not bad. He's just way overpaid for the position that he's at. So this has always been the thing. I've talked about this multiple times. The pressures are so important, and it's the best metric for consistently getting to a quarterback. Max Crosby, he doesn't have the same sack numbers as some of the, like the, the elite elite defensive ends, but he has the pressure rate second to none. He's a great pressure rate. And that's just as disruptive. If I can get the quarterback to move out of the pocket or throw a little early or you know throw a bad pass, uh, disrupt his rhythm, if I can get in the backfield real quick and disrupt, you know, make make the the running back have to cut three yards in the back in the backfield instead of you know, three, you know, at the line of scrimmage, I'm disrupting. And that's a better gauge of overall disruption and play of a defensive end. We've seen it a million times, right? Unique Ngakwe is going to get you double-digit sacks every season. Every season, Unique Ngakwe gets you double-digit sacks and nothing else. Nothing. He had like 28 tackles with the Raiders playing almost every down. That's, that's nothing. But he had like 11 sacks. But that's all he does. And that's why he keeps making millions of dollars. Chandler Jones, two seasons ago, like the season before he came to the Raiders, he had like five sacks in one game. And so his total was like 10 or 11. Everyone's like, oh yeah, he's a double-digit sack guy. He's like, no, he just got a really bad tackle against him in one game. And it made it look like his season was better than it was and that he's a better player than he was. Having a ton of pressures is the best gauge to say you are consistently disrupting football. You are consistently doing your job by getting those pressures because it's less fool's gold of a stat. Now, again, you still need to get those sacks. Max, you're you know, top five paid defensive end. Tyree Wilson, you're you know, seventh overall in the draft. You guys need to get those sacks. You guys need to deliver. Absolutely, you're right on Holy Roller Raider. But don't ever forget, I would much rather have signed to a long-term contract. I'd much rather have a, uh, a defensive end first round pick going into his rookie season. Someone that has a ton of pressures more than anybody else than someone who has a bunch of sacks 
and a minimal amount of pressures. I would much, much rather have the pressure guy because they are more consistently playing good defense, more consistently disrupting the offense instead of just, again, sacks are amazing. They need to get them and they're splashy. They destroy drives. But I'd rather you, instead of destroying one drive a game with a sack, I'd rather you have 10 pressures a game and disrupted 10 plays. Much better. And because I'm, you know, I'm down for some shameless, you know, complimentary what up windbags. Sham Kinnison, you guys are the only up and coming Raiders sports podcast I can tolerate. I don't even like, just tolerate. You both back up your statements with actual logic and reasoning. Also, you both have a good chemistry together as commentators. Keep up the good work and don't be flip floppers or make ridiculous statements and backtrack on them the very next day like the retards that attempt to be Raider sports podcasters. And yes, I am talking about all of them except for one, but I don't remember the name of the cast. Keep up the good work. As a throwback man, I have little options to choose from. Farva rules. Thank you, Sham. Much appreciate. I would I would disagree. I think there's a ton of fantastic Raiders podcasters, creators, writers out there. Um, but we'll take your advice. Try not to flip-flop. We'll back up what we say with logic and reasoning. We'll throw in a couple sophisticated dick and fart jokes. And I promise you, every single show, there will be a mention about Aiden O'Connell is Farva from Super Troopers. Mark my words. And until then, knock on wood if you're with me.